little preview. Good morning. Welcome again to Hiawatha Church. Like uh, we've already said several times, we are glad you're here, but we are glad you're here. We're not just saying it. Welcome. And uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jesse Splann. I'm one of the elders here at Hiawatha. And an elder is basically a lay pastor, not meaning I get to lay down when I'm doing my job, but meaning I'm unpaid. But it is a privilege and a joy. I love doing that. I love preaching. I love teaching. So this is really fun for me. And this summer, we're doing open mic series, which does not mean uh, that we pass the mic around and everyone gets a chance to talk. That's something different. It means that we get to pick what we're preaching on. We're not in the middle of a book of the Bible or a certain series, so we get to kind of preach what we want. And today, we're going to be talking about what are you wearing? Now, this is not going to be about literal clothing or fashion advice, if you know me. You would probably not want to sit through a sermon that I did on that. I don't think I would want to sit through a sermon I did on that. So if you can see, I am wearing toe shoes, so they're super comfortable. <clears throat> no, we're going to be talking about a different kind of uh, wearing, so something a little more biblical. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, about the first half of the passage. So let's read it, and then we will talk about it some. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, to start out, you have died. You might not have known that when you got here this morning. For you died, and you have been raised with Christ. Now, if you're sitting in the room today and you are not a Christian, that is not what you believe, then this is not true of you. You have not died, you have not been raised with Christ. Uh, there is still something for you this morning, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, uh, for the moment, for those of you who believe in Christ, are trusting in him, this is true of you. Obviously, right now I'm standing up here, I'm talking, I'm breathing, my heart's pumping blood, I'm alive. But I have died. And not just in some metaphorical sense, but in a very real sense. In a spiritual sense, but in a very real sense. We have died and we have been raised with Christ. And you're like, okay, that's interesting, but what does that mean? What did that look like? How did that happen? Excellent question. 
So Paul is the author of Colossians. He also wrote the book of Galatians. And in Galatians, uh, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's how that happened. That's how that death and resurrection happened. Christ, approximately 2,000 years ago, was crucified. He was crucified, he died, he actually physically died. He was dead for about three days and then he rose from the dead. And those of us who believe that and are trusting in that, that is also true of us. There is a very real sense in God's eyes and in how God sees us that we were crucified along with Christ and we were raised when Christ was raised. Christ physically took that on so that we wouldn't have to because that's what we deserved from God. Christ took that on for us. But we reap the benefits of that. We reap the benefits. And it's as if we were the ones who were crucified. It's as if we were the ones who were raised. And because of that, it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So we now no longer live on our own. We no longer have to do things on our own. We have Christ in us. And he lives in us. But not only that, our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life now. So, kind of the overarching theme for today is the idea of union with Christ. And if you don't know what that phrase means, basically it's this idea of, as believers, it's not just that we know God or we have a relationship with him or we believe certain things about Jesus, but we're actually united with him. He's actually in us and we're in him. Kind of like a marriage. You have two people that get married. And they're two separate people. I don't look at a couple, I don't look at my parents and get confused about which is which or think, why is there only one person there? I thought I had two parents. But there is a very real sense in which a married couple is united in ways that I am not united to my friends, although there's some uniting there. But there's a deeper, more intimate uniting. There's sexual intimacy in that uniting. There's the uniting of just living together, of interacting with each other every day, of getting to know each other really well. There's a union that happens there. There are other unions. In the workforce, there are unions. And regardless of what you think of unions, good or bad, the idea of a union is that you have a group of people that are united around something common, and there's strength in that, and those people united are stronger than any of those people would be individually. And that idea is similar with Christ. We're united with Christ and there's strength in that, there's power in that, that comes from him that we wouldn't have without that. There's a union there. This idea of our life being hidden with Christ in God and Christ being our life is extremely important. Not just for the future, someday when we're with him in eternity. It matters for that because that's, that being united with Christ is the means by which that will happen. But it matters today. It affects your life today. The fact that your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you have something that's hidden, you can't see it. As a kid, when you played hide and seek, the object was to hide so that people couldn't see you. So you might hide in a cupboard or in a trunk or something like that, and you'd be hidden within that thing, and when people looked at it, all they would see is the cupboard or all they would see is the trunk, even though you were in there. In a similar sense, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So when God looks at us, and not like we're fooling God or he's an idiot or something, but he sees Christ when he looks at us because we're hidden in him. Even though we're imperfect and we still sin and there are tons of problems that we have in of ourselves and in the life we live, even as believers, 
God sees Christ in us, or sees us in Christ. Our life is hidden with him. Christ is our life now. The core of our life is no longer other things. Obviously, there are other things that matter in life. There's work, there's family, there's friends, there's all kinds of other things. But the core of all that now as believers is that Christ is our life. So that's what it means that we've died, that we've been raised, that our life is hidden with Christ in God, that Christ is our life. We're united with him. He died to do what we couldn't, to pay the penalty that we deserved for sin. And God accepted that payment from him and gave us the benefit of it. So, it's like, all right, well, that's great. That's cool. I'm excited about that. I'm glad that's the case. And I understand how that will matter in eternity because now that separation that was present between me and God has been removed and now I can be with God. But how does that matter today? How does that matter tomorrow when I go to work? How does that matter yesterday when I was at the movie theater watching Wonder Woman with some friends? How does it matter in day-to-day life? Well, let's keep looking. So, verse 9, you have taken off your old self with its practices. And now you see... Well, the title, what you're wearing. It's this idea of what we've taken off because we're in Christ and what we've put on. So you've taken off your old self with its practices. And just as a reminder, what are the practices of the old self? Note that this list is not exhaustive. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. I like how Paul lists all these things, and he throws in idolatries. Like, and just for those of you who would look at this list and maybe think to yourself, oh, well, those aren't on my list. Well, here's idolatry, which is basically the idea of anything that you put in the place of God that you worship instead of God. So if you think you can look at your, this list and proclaim yourself self-righteous, here, idolatry, and everyone deals with that. Everyone has that sin in their life. So everyone's covered. So these are the practices of the old self. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. God's wrath is a real thing, and it is coming. It's on the way. We don't know exactly when it will come. It might come a thousand years from now. It might come tomorrow. It might come while I'm preaching. Jesus Christ is going to return. And Jesus came the first time, and it says in the Gospel of John, he came not to judge the world, but to save the world through himself. He came to live and to die and to be raised from the dead and through that to save the world, to save people, not to judge. And you see that in the Gospels. You see plenty of times when people come to him accusing other people of things and Jesus doesn't judge them, he doesn't condemn them like he could, like he would be right to do being God and being in the right. But instead he loves them and he offers them mercy and compassion. But Jesus is going to come again and he's going to come to take those who believe to himself and to judge those who don't believe. That same passage that says, Jesus came not to judge the world, to save, but to save it, the very next verse says, those who don't believe are already condemned because they haven't believed. God's wrath is coming. And these practices of the old self are things we all used to walk in in the life we once lived. Before we knew Christ, we all walked in these. Now some of you, can remember that very clearly. Maybe you came to know Christ as a teenager or in college or post-college. 
And so you can think very clearly of things in your life, lists of those sins. It's like, yeah, I didn't just do those things, I walked in them. That was what I put on. That was what I wore day to day. For some of us that became believers much earlier in life, it can be harder to see some of those things. It can be harder to see some of that distinction, but it's still there. And if you don't believe it, ask your parents. Things like anger, rage, slander. Your parents, uh, for me, I was pretty young when I became a believer, but if I ask my parents, I'm sure they'll verify that those things were present in me before I was a believer. So, for all of us, we used to walk in those ways. Notice that this is all past tense. Verse 9, you have taken off your old self. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways, the life you once lived. So this is something that's in the past. It's something that's no longer true. If you're a believer, that has been taken off. You're no longer wearing that. It's like the change in Minnesota from summer to winter. When summer comes, you take off your winter coat. You put it away for the summer. Those warm winter clothes, you take off and put away. And you take out your summer clothes. Your swimsuit, your shorts, your t-shirts, whatever you like to wear in the summer. Maybe a light jacket if it's raining or there's a strong breeze. But you change what you're wearing because things have changed. You take off that, you put on something else. And when winter comes, too soon for most, I'm sure, you'll take off those things of summer and put on the things of winter again. You'll pull your winter boots and your winter coat out of storage. You'll pull out your hat and your gloves and your mittens, and you'll put those on again. But right now, that's in the past. The same with us. Those things are in the past. We've taken them off. So it's interesting because Paul says it's all in the past. But for me, I read that, and then I read through the list, and I'm like, "Uh, I think there's a problem here. Because Paul says it's in the past, and he says that's no longer true of me, but those things are still true in my life. I still struggle with those things. Evil desires are still things I struggle with. Greed, whether it's greed for money or greed for other things, that's still still something I struggle with. Sexual immorality in various ways, still a struggle. Idolatry, still a struggle. Anger, rage, malice, slander, still struggle. And for different people in the room, different ones of those, you'll struggle with to various degrees, some more and some less. But those things, Paul says, you've taken it off. You're not wearing it anymore. But how can that be? Because it's still present. Verses 5 and 8. Notice 5 and 8 are not past tense, they're present tense. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Present tense. Put it to death. Now rid yourself of it. So there's this tension, this acknowledgement that Paul says, there is a very real change that has happened. You are a believer. You believe in Christ. You have taken that off. You no longer wear it. Oh, and by the way, these things you no longer wear, put them to death. (laughs) What? What are you saying? So then the question obviously is, all right, how do we do that? How do we put them to death? Because if taking it off didn't put it to death, how do we put it to death? And the reason is, notice in the passage it says we've died. But it doesn't say sin has died yet. Sin is still alive. Sin is going to die someday. Scripture talks about that. But although we've died to sin, sin has not yet died to us. That's why we still struggle with it. That's why there's still that tension that exists in our lives. So how is that dealt with? 
how do we put those things to death? How do we rid ourselves of that? By putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of, the creator, of its creator, which is Jesus. So renewal in knowledge in the image of Jesus Christ. And it's important, biblically, a point on knowledge. When we think of knowledge, we think of information, we think of facts we know, we think of things that relate to the mind. Biblically, knowledge encompasses that, but it's bigger than that. It also encompasses the heart and the emotions. It's like in uh, Genesis, when you read, Adam knew his wife Eve, which is talking about sexual intimacy. So it's not just saying, okay, I know my wife now. We sat down, we had some questionnaires we filled out, we asked some questions, and now I know. It's not just knowledge. There's a knowledge piece of it, but it's more than that. It's the heart and the emotions. It's experiential. So keep that in mind as we're talking about this. When we say renewed in knowledge, it doesn't just mean reading this book, memorizing verses, learning more, gaining more head knowledge. That's part of it, but it's more than that. It's also the heart. It's also transformation that comes in how you feel in what you believe, in what you experience. Those things are part of this. Remember, uh, or flip back, verses 1 and 2, when Paul writes, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above. That's what it means in the context of this verse, to be renewed in knowledge. It means to set your heart and your mind, what you think, what you feel, what you experience, to set that on things above. And you think, well, how can I do that? Because I can't always do that. And you're right, we can't do that. And that's where the idea of union with Christ is so important. Because on our own, we can't do that. On our own, we'll try and put those things on. We'll try and put on renewed knowledge. We'll try and put on a renewed heart and feeling different ways about things. We'll try and put on these things we're going to see in a few verses that Paul lists in contrast to what we've taken off. But we can't do it on our own. The idea of union with Christ, our life is hidden with Christ in God, Christ who is our life. So when Paul writes in this passage, set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above, what's he really saying? He's saying, set your heart and your mind on Christ. Oh, and don't forget, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've died, you've been raised with him. He is your life. Set your mind on that which is your life, on Jesus Christ. That is what it means. Because if not, if you try and make it a list, because we're going to look at some things coming up, gentleness, compassion, things like that. If you try and make that the thing you're saying your heart and mind on, it's going to just become legalistic. And it's become very, going to become very frustrating. You're going to try and put on these outfits that don't fit quite right. And these things that you put on that should be freeing are going to weigh you down instead. But we put on Christ because he put on for us perfectly compassion, humility, gentleness, all these other things we're going to talk about. Love being the big one that Paul finishes with. Christ put these on for us. And all we do is remind ourselves that we have already put on Christ because Christ did it. Christ put himself on us. He put us in himself. We are in him. Our life is hidden with him. Christ has done all the work for us. All the work. So Paul writes, put to death. Rid yourselves. And what he's saying by that is keep your mind and your heart focused on things above. And what he's actually saying by that is remember that you're united with Christ. Remember that you have put on Christ, that Christ is your life, that your life is hidden in him. That is how 
the old self is taken off. That is how those things that we have taken off but are still present are put to death. So the other side of that, the new self. So a few notes about the new self before we talk about some of the specifics. One, you've got verse 11, which seems a little bit strange in the middle of this passage where Paul's talking about, like, here's what you were, here are thing, ways that looked, here's what you've become, here are ways that looked, here's the process by which that happened. Oh, and here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all, Christ is all and is in all. So what he's saying here is this is available for everyone. It doesn't matter when you're sitting here this morning. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your background or your family situation that you grew up in. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or not, and if so, what kind. It doesn't matter. Uh, None of that matters. This is available to everyone. If you're here this morning, if you're sitting here, This taking off of your old self and putting on the new self is available to you. And you don't have to change anything about yourself before that. The change happens in the taking off and the putting on. We don't take off first and then come to God. We come to God and he takes it off. It's like a little kid that plays outside in their nice clothes, maybe when they weren't supposed to and they get them dirty. But if they're young enough, they can't just take it off and clean it up themselves. So what do they do? They go to their parents and their parents will take off the dirty clothes put on some new clothes for them. In the same way, we realize, oh, I'm really dirty. I've got all these things, these sins inside of me that I can't take off. I keep trying to take them off and trying to take them off, and they're still on. It's like the 500 hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. You try and take off the hat, and there's another one underneath. Well, I'll take off the sin, but there's more underneath. And I'll take off the sin, but there's more underneath. But we come to God, and he takes it off. Jesus takes it off for us. So if you're here this morning, this is available to you. Don't think, yeah, but I'm like this. Or yeah, but I've done this. Or yeah, but there was this thing. It doesn't matter. God can handle it. God can deal with it. The other note before we get to specifics, the beginning of verse 12, therefore is God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. The wrath of God is coming. But don't think for a moment because of that that you're not dearly loved by God. And that's not just those of us who have believed. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't believe, and you've just heard maybe for the first time the wrath of God is coming, that should be a little worrisome. And for us as believers, it should be kind of that worrisome reminder. But that reminder that leads us instantly to the idea that we are dearly loved. In another part of the New Testament, Another author writes, God demonstrates his love for us in this way. He laid down his life for us. How did Jesus show that he loved us? By dying in our place. By taking for us the punishment that we deserve so that we can take the righteousness and the grace and all the good that he deserved and that he received. If you're here this morning, you are dearly loved. If you're here this morning and you don't believe, you are here ultimately because God wanted you to be here. Whatever the reasoning is, maybe a friend brought you this morning and invited you. Maybe you were just running by or driving by and thought, oh, I haven't been to church for a while. It's almost 10 o'clock. I guess I'll go. But ultimately, and if those are the reasons, we're really glad you're here. That's great. I'm not saying that to uh, mock you for those things. But know that you are dearly loved by Jesus Christ this morning. He wants to have that relationship with you. 
God would be justified in bringing his wrath right now, but he delays his wrath. And scripture says people see that God's wrath keeps getting delayed and they think, oh, God's not going to really come. His wrath isn't going to really come. He's forgotten or he changed his mind. And the author says, no, you don't understand. God delays his wrath to give people the opportunity to come to him. Because he's not looking forward to it. It's not like he's thinking, oh, I can't wait till I get to burn people. Oh, it's going to be so great. He desires that no one perishes, but that all come to him. He wants you to experience his love. He wants you to be in Christ, to have your life hidden in him, to be united with him. You are dearly loved. Second, God's chosen people. If you're a believer, you were chosen by God. It's not something you had to figure out on your own. It's not something you did on your own. God chose you. He wanted you. And he wanted you not after you'd taken off all that was evil and dirty about yourself and put on all that's clean and righteous. He wanted you when you were dirty, when you were sinful. He desired you in that state. And he came to you and he took off what was slimy and gross on you and put on something clean and beautiful. You have been chosen by God. If you're here this morning and you don't yet believe in Christ, God chose for you to be here this morning, and he loves you. He wants you. And third, for those of us who are believers, remember, we are dearly loved, we were chosen by God, and also we are holy. Now you look at that list of sins from the previous verses, and the idea Paul has of still needing to put that to death, the fact that those are still present, and there are many times where we don't feel holy. And there, in those times in and of ourselves, we're not holy. But remember, it's not on our own. It's not in ourselves anymore. It's in Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your life. And because of that, we are holy before God. Scripture says we're being transformed more and more into Christ's image. Every day, we resemble Christ a little bit more. And some days, that change might be so small we can't even see it and we might feel like it's not happening. Some days you might see little jumps and it's like, oh yeah, I can see a little bit. But that process is going to continue. It won't be perfected until either Christ comes back or we die and we're with him. So this struggle is always going to be present. But in that struggle, don't think to yourself, I'm not holy. You are holy. But it's not in yourself. It's not because you're doing the right things. It's not because you keep putting on the right outfits by yourself. It's because Christ has taken off the sin in you, and put on his righteousness. It's because you're hidden in him. And so God looks at us. God looks at me in my sin. Even this morning driving over here, isn't this always the way when you're in a hurry to get somewhere? That's always when you get stuck behind people that are moving really slowly. And you're on that road where it's like, well, I can't really take a detour because it's not worth it. It won't really be any faster. And so even driving over here, anger, probably not quite rage, maybe a little bit on the border, but there was definitely anger in a sinful sense, you know, and I was still going to be an hour early to church. It's like I'll have plenty of time. It's not like I'm not going to be able to get the stuff done I need to get done, but there was that anger, that unrighteous anger. It's like, why are they moving so slowly? What's wrong with you? So even in that, I'm not acting in a holy way, but Christ, God, as he looks at me, still sees me in Christ. He still sees Christ as my life. And so that holiness is still present. And not that that means I just say, well, it doesn't matter what I do now. I'll just sin all the time and follow that list because God sees me as holy. It's like, no, there's transformation that happens. That's like a couple that gets married. If I get married, by God's grace, if I get married someday, 
And then I'm going and I'm hanging out with my friends and they're like, how's your life? It's like, oh, I don't know, we haven't really talked this week. Oh, are things not going well? Are you fine? No, we just don't talk a lot, you know. I'd rather just be here hanging out with you guys, talking with her is kind of boring. Oh, oh. But she's great, I love her a lot. Do you? Do you really love her? Doesn't seem like it. You don't want to spend time with her, you don't want to interact with her, you don't want to talk to her. Doesn't seem like you really care about her. God loves us. He cares for us. He has made us holy. So, we have put on the new self. What does the new self look like? It looks like being clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It looks like bearing with each other, forgiving one another. And not just forgiving one another, but forgiving as God forgave us. And what that means, forgiving as the Lord forgave you, how did God forgive us? He forgave us when we didn't deserve it. He forgave us without us having to do anything to make amends to him first. How did Christ bear with people on earth? He wept with people at Lazarus' tomb when Lazarus had died. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead like 45 seconds later, he bore that pain with people. He grieved with people. He stopped and took time for people that culture said didn't matter. There's an instance where uh, basically a high, important religious person comes to Christ and says, my child is dying, please come help me. And Jesus says, of course, let's go. And they're on the way. And then this woman comes up to him who, being a woman in that culture, was already generally viewed as of less worth than a man. But then there were other things specifically about her that made her seem of even less worth. And Jesus stops in the middle of this trip and takes time with her. And not just time to say a few words and send her on his way. He has a conversation with her. He heals her from some things. He takes some time. And the passage doesn't tell us what this ruler is thinking, but probably he's thinking, what are you doing? My son is dying. My son is about to die. And you are spending time on this person who is still a person, but is not nearly as important as me. And in this situation, doesn't really matter at all. What's wrong with you? But that's what Jesus does. He bears, he bore with people on earth. We're to bear with each other. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, this list is not exhaustive, but these are the ones Paul hints at. This is what it looks like to put on the new self. To take off those sinful acts and to put on these things instead. And again, in ourselves, we can't do this. In your own power, under your own strength, if you try to put on kindness and humility, you're going to have issues with it. You try and put on humility, and maybe you do for a little bit, but then you get frustrated because people aren't recognizing it. And then there's that awkward moment where you try and praise your own humility, which isn't really humble at all. And so then your humility has become pride. You put on kindness. Kindness to people. And to some degree you do that on your own. But then underneath, within yourself, there's that peace that starts to eat away at you a little bit. Why aren't people being as kind to me as I am to them? What's wrong with these people? I keep pouring out kindness and pouring out kindness and they don't give anything back. These things are not possible to do fully or long-term at all. Short-term, it's possible to do these things to some degree. Just like for me, I could put on an Olympic gymnast outfit and I could go out on the floor and I could do like the opening pose, but that's about all I could do. 
I could get on the rings and I could hang there in that first position, but if you expect to see me do an iron cross, you're going to be extremely disappointed. That's all I can do. I could put on the outfit, and for a moment, I could do things that would make it look like, oh, I never thought he could do that. Well, he can't. In a similar way, you try and put these things on, and you can have those moments where you do it, but then it falls apart. Then you realize, oh, they're trying to wear the outfit, but they don't have what's inside that makes it work. They don't have Christ within. They're trying to put it on on the outside, but their lives aren't hidden with Christ and God. Christ is not their life. They're trying to make compassion their life. They're trying to make humility their life. They're trying to make gentleness their life. Those things are not our life. Christ is our life. Those things are the outflow of Christ being our life. And the last one, again, kind of like where Paul throws out idolatry is like the coverall for sin. Here, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's a lot of other virtues that are worthwhile besides the one he lists here. But love is supreme over all those things. It was love that motivated God to send his son. Love was what Christ was primarily demonstrating when he died for us on the cross and was raised from the dead. Love is the main thing he prays for us as believers, that we would love each other, that our love for him would grow, that our love for each other would grow. That we would know the unmeasurable depth and size of God's love. Over all these virtues put on love. And again, something to various degrees we can do in our own power, but not completely, not fully, not in a way that lasts. I am not a parent, uh, nor have I ever been. However, when I was 19, for two and a half weeks, my youth leaders, uh, the wife of the couple, went with one of her good friends to Malaysia for a few weeks, and the husband worked double shifts as job, and all their normal babysitters were teenage girls, and he had to get up and go to work at 4 a.m. and was at work until usually like 6 to 10 p.m., somewhere in that range. So, you know, not many mothers are going to drive their daughters over at 3.30 in the morning for babysitting. And, of course, it wouldn't have been appropriate to have them just staying at the house the whole time that his wife was gone. So they asked if I would watch their kids for those 17 days, and I did. And I loved those kids, but my goodness... They weren't even my kids. And it was only two and a half weeks. Those of you who are parents, you're thinking, that's nothing. And it was summertime, so we could even be outside and do stuff. But oh my goodness, those kids, even though they weren't mine, they know how to push your buttons. And you love those kids, and it's like, I love you, but I think I have to leave the room right now before I say or do something I'm going to regret. And there were those times in those two and a half weeks where I tried to put on that love in my own power. And it's like, no, I'll just love you. I'll just do more. And then they just keep responding badly. And you think, why are you not responding to my love? You're not making it easy to love you. And then you think, I wonder if I was like this when I was a kid. No, probably not. And then talk to my parents afterwards and they're like, oh yes, and even worse in some ways. So putting on love. We can do that for a short time, but not long term. You're dating someone, or you're engaged, or you're married to someone. There are those times where it's easy to put on love. You're on a date you're dressed up, you're out to eat, you're watching a movie, it's generally easy to put on love in that situation. You get married. You first get married, you're on your honeymoon, you're in some really nice location, you're having sex a lot. It's easy to put on love. But then you get back to real life and you have a bad day at work 
or you've got the flu, or you have kids that have the flu. And it's a little more difficult to put on love. The uh, uh, couple I know just recently got engaged, and it was, I don't know if they thought it was cool in the moment, but I thought it was cool when I heard the story that uh, for a long time, they've known that marriage was the direction they were moving, and it was probably going to happen soon. And she was getting a little frustrated that it wasn't moving that direction as quickly as she would want. And so they were on this date, and there was just this whole series of circumstances that uh, caused issues, like he got a flat tire on the way to pick her up, and so he was like an hour and a half late, and he told her, and you know, she was understanding, you know, that wasn't his fault, but there were these other things too, and then it was one of those days that were really hot, and he had this semi-elaborate plan for how he was going to propose, and it's like, oh, this is going to be great, and he's like, all right, you know, we're out on this date, and we finished our meal, let's go for a walk, and she's like, no, I'm not feeling well, I'm kind of sick, it's really hot, and he wanted to go walk to where he was going to propose to her. And he's like, no, let's go on a walk. And now she's getting angry. She's like, you were late, and you didn't do this, and this happened, and now you're not even listening to me. I said, I don't feel well, and I'm hot, and I don't want to go on a walk. I want to go somewhere where it's cool. And, um, and she's great. She's great. I don't want to paint a picture of her being, you know, this kind of attitude all the time. She's not at all like that. But you know how it is. You have those days and those moments. But through the course of events... They eventually got to where they were going to go, and he proposed, and she said yes. And what a great picture of how God comes to us, you know? She wasn't on her best behavior in that moment. It was a little bit of the ugliness of her, and he still wanted her. He didn't say, ooh, haven't seen this before. Maybe we'll hold off on the engagement. <laughs> you know, I was going to propose to you, but this attitude, it just isn't working for me. Uh, I think we're going to have to wait a little bit, you know, we'll uh, maybe do some check-ins, we'll see if you improve a little bit and then go, no, 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 no. What's he do? He still proposes, he still wants to be with her, she's still the one he wants to spend his life with. So it is with God, he comes to us in our ugliness and takes us. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, Jesse, I didn't see that part of you, that's really ugly, that's really evil. You're going to have to work on that. When you can take that off somewhat and put on something else, then we'll talk again. No. No, that's not how it is. That's not how God comes to us. So this morning, if you're a believer, be encouraged. Be encouraged that you were chosen by God, that you're dearly loved, that you are holy, that you have taken off the old self, even when you don't feel like it. But remember that sin is still present, that that putting to death is still something that needs to happen, and that happens through Jesus Christ. Remember, your life is not your own. You don't have to do it on your own anymore, and you can't. God doesn't expect that. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. He is your life. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ, He loves you deeply. He's chosen you to be here this morning. He wants you. Come to him. Let him take off all that doesn't fit correctly anyway and put on himself. Put himself on you. In conclusion, a couple of things. One, the wrath of God is coming. It's real. And it's coming. As believers, rejoice that that wrath is not something we will face. And if you're here and you don't believe, Know that God is real and his wrath is real. His love is greater than his wrath, but his wrath is real. 
But also, what are you wearing? What are you wearing today? What have you been wearing this week? What have you been trying to put on? Have you been trying to wear your job as your main outfit or success? Have you been wearing grief? And that's how you've been identifying yourself. Are you maybe in a brand new dating relationship and you've been wearing that? Are you single and wish you were in a relationship and you're wearing that? Are you having a great season in marriage and that's what you're wearing and that's how you're identifying, that's what you're wearing, that is your life right now? Is your marriage in a lot of trouble, serious trouble, and you can't see beyond that and that's all you're wearing right now? Are you wearing Jesus Christ? Are you remembering that you are God's chosen people? You are holy, you are dearly loved. Are you remembering this body, the church? As Highland said, the church is a huge part of this, right? Because our life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your life. And what does the New Testament say? It says the church is Christ's body. The church is Christ's body. So being here on a Sunday morning, interacting with people at Hiawatha throughout the week, whether in formal things or just casual, informal things, that's part of this practice of putting on the new self. That's part of the practice. Because the times when we're weak, there are other believers to help hold us up. The times when we forget things, there are other people that will remind us of them. And the times where by God's grace, there's strength on our part, and there's remembrance on our part, we can remind others and we can help others. Because all these other things will come. Grief comes, seasons of intense grief, of intense doubt. Seasons of sin, seasons that are great. And in all these seasons, we don't reject those things. We don't say those things aren't real. Of course those things are real. Of course in a season of grief, we go through grief. But do you do that with Christ as the main thing you're wearing and grief as something besides that? When you're having a great season and things are going well, with your friends or with your marriage or with your family or with dating or with whatever it is, with your job, with life in general, is that the thing you put on and identify with? Or do you still put on Christ? And that's something that's beside that. And it's easy to do. It's easy to put on other things. The other things sometimes look more flashy or they look more comfortable. And they can be for a short time. But when you put on those other things, the longer you're in, them, you're in them, the more constricting they are. And the more you see, yeah, this doesn't fit. This doesn't really fit. What are you wearing? Are you wearing the old self? You're comfortable with it. You don't feel the need for anything new. Or have you taken that off and you've put on the new self? God has redressed you in his son. Is your life hidden with Christ in God? Is Christ your life? If not, I strongly encourage you and plead with you, come to Christ. God brought you here this morning to hear this message, to hear that the thing you're wearing is not as comfortable as you think it is, is more constricting than you think it is, is really not as good looking as you think it is. The thing you're wearing that you think is so great is actually going to strangle you to death eventually. Put on Jesus Christ. Believe that he was crucified for you, that he was raised from the dead for you, that you can put on him, that you can be hidden in him and receive all the benefit of that. What are you wearing today? If you're wearing Jesus Christ, rejoice. If not, 
let today be the day that you put him on. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for rising from the dead, for showing in that that you are powerful, that your death was sufficient. Thank you that you give us something better to put on than what we have. I pray, God, that we would put you on every day, that every day, Jesus, we'd remember that we are in you, that our life is hidden with you. I pray for those here right now who don't know you, that they would put you on for the first time, that they would know what it is to wear something that fits so perfectly. God, help us when sin comes. Help us when other things come that are not sin, but trials, tribulations, sorrows. In all those things, God, help us to remember that you are the thing we're wearing, that you love us, that you've made us holy, that you've chosen us. When things are going well, help us not to forget you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for taking off all that's evil in us that we couldn't and for putting on us your righteousness and your holiness. Amen. Amen. Please uh, stand and join us in